More Than a Carpenter Brief 1 Introduction Many people assume that being a Christian requires blind faith. They believe there is no evidence for the veracity of the Bible and that no thinking person would believe it. This is untrue. The evidence that Christ was who he claimed to be, divine, God incarnate, and the Messiah is compelling. From the sublime accuracy of the prophecies that predicted his life, death, and resurrection, to extra-biblical accounts and the sudden spread of Christianity after his death, a clear picture begins to emerge. Something extraordinary and supernatural happened in Israel 2,000 years ago. Faith in Christ is rational, and once a person truly accepts this fact and believes in him, he or she will never be the same. Brief 1. Christ's claim to be God. Many who are uncomfortable with the idea of Christ's divinity dismiss him as merely a good moral teacher. They view him as a wise man, our philosopher no different from Gandhi, Buddha, Aristotle, or other great thinkers from, Arist from antiquity who challenged the moral and intellectual standards of their day. The issue with this evasiveness, however, is that Christ himself claimed to be divine, and the Gospels echo this affirmation. John 1.1 1, 1 reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Christ said that only God should be worshipped, and yet he accepted worship as God. Matthew 14 and 33. The Gospels declare that Christ possesses many of the attributes of God, including omnipotence. Matthew 8 verses 26 and 27, when he rebukes the wind and the waves. Omniscience, such as when he told the Samaritan woman hidden details about her life in John chapter 4 verses 16 through 18. And omnipresence, wherever two or more are gathered together in my name, I will be amongst them. Matthew 22 and 18. The fact that Christ did not merely claim to be a great moral man, but God himself leaves us with a dilemma. As C.S. Lewis put it, either he is a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. If he is a liar, then why was he willing to die, proclaiming he was God when he knew it wasn't true? Why would he persist in the face of so much hardship, persecution, and ultimately an agonizing death? On a cross. If he was a lunatic, then why have numerous psychologists and psychiatrists argued that the character of Jesus, as revealed in the Gospels, was that of an immensely healthy, sane, and moral man? Why did he have such clarity that he could communicate moral truths which have resonated for millennia? Would a lunatic have been able to change lives, move the hearts of crowds and individuals, and gift civilization with some of the most enduring moral principles and soaring sermons ever spoken? If neither of the first two opinions hold, is it too much of a stretch to believe that a liar would knowingly die an agonizing death on a cross or a lunatic would inspire billions with great moral teaching? Then the only option left is that he must have been who he said he was. He must be Lord. More than a carpenter. Brief two. Does science discredit Christ and religion? One of the most common objections Christians run into is that science and religion are at odds. It is impossible, many contend, to be an intellectual, scientifically literate, modern person and maintain a belief in Christianity, which scientists has shown to be outdated. Religion, the existence of God, the divinity of Christ, cannot be validated scientifically and therefore cannot be trusted. First of all, it is important to understand the domain of the scientific method. Scientific experimentation helps us to test hypotheses about repeatable, tangible events. For example, when Galileo wanted to see if Heavier objects fall faster than lighter objects. 
He dropped items from the Leaning Tower of Pizza and discovered to the surprise of many that objects will collide with the ground at the same time, regardless of weight. This method of scientific experimentation cannot be applied to historical events in order to answer and discover truths about history, because those events are by definition not repeatable. You cannot use science to determine whether or not there is reliable historic evidence to believe George Washington was the first president, or that Abraham Lincoln won the Civil War, or that Christ lived, died, and was resurrected in Jerusalem. These events require legal historical proof, not scientific examination. And we'll examine what that means in greater detail down the line. Furthermore, the narrative that science and religion are at odds and that Christianity has always been at war with religion is false. Many great scientists, such as Isaac Newton, Blaise Pascal, Louis Pasteur, and many others were people of faith. Many of them cited their faith as a reason they had confidence that examining the universe would be a fruitful exercise, anticipating that a wise God of design and order must have established his universe on the basis of logical principles. Many skeptics attempt to undermine the faith of these early pioneers of science by claiming they had no alternative and therefore Christianity shouldn't get any credit for influencing their thoughts or inspiring their scientific advances. Yet these skeptics are quick to blame Christianity for wars, crusades, and other evils. This is a clear double standard. If Christianity cannot be credited for influencing believers of antiquity to do good, it should not be blamed for evil either. Furthermore, upon examining science, we find many peculiar facts which actually strengthen, not undermine the case for an intelligent creator. DNA contains an incredible amount of encoded information. The odds against something like this arising by chance are astronomical. Upon examining astronomy, we discover that many of the cosmological constants appear to have been fine-tuned to allow life to exist. If these constants were to vary by incomprehensibly small amounts, life of any kind would not be possible anywhere in the universe. For example, if the force of gravity had varied by one in tenth to the 40th power, the universe would have been unsuitable for life. If the rate of expansion for the universe had varied by one part in a hundred thousand million million, the universe would have either collapsed or expanded too rapidly for stars, galaxies, and planets to form. In total, there are believed to be 19 such constants which have been fine-tuned in this way. The odds against this being random chance are so outrageous that the notion need not even be considered. This was clearly designed. Brief 3. Refuting the Challenges of the New Atheist Recently, a new group of charismatic authors and speakers have arisen who call themselves the New Atheist. Beginning around the turn of the 21st century, this group of people began publishing books, giving speeches, and openly challenging the existence of God in a way that captured the attention of millions. The arguments of the New Atheist appear to some to be bold and innovative, but in reality they are trite and deeply flawed. First, the New Atheists posit that Christianity is a force for great evil in the world. They overlook the good that Christianity has done, dismissing it on hand, and focus only on those who have done evil in the name of Christianity. Even worse, they exaggerate the scales of these supposed crimes. Conveniently, they also overlook the horrors undertaken by men such as Stalin and Mao, who killed tens of millions in the name of atheist regimes. Furthermore, in their attempt to label Christianity as evil, the new atheists overlook the fact that God and evil are, good, are meaningless concepts apart from the existence of an objective transcendent lawgiver. That is to say, if there is no God, then the terms good and evil are merely subjective, free to vary from culture to culture and error to error. Who is to say that one society's definition of good is correct and another incorrect? Without 
the absence with the out the absence of a transcendental moral lawgiver who has established moral principles that transcend time and place, morality is merely cultural. Additionally, the new atheists attempt to label Christianity as illogical or non-scientific. We've already debunked this claim, so suffice it to repeat the words of the psalmist, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies are the work of his hands. More than a carpenter, brief four, the trustworthiness of the Gospels. Many of the arguments so far about the life of Jesus Christ have been based on the record that was written in the Gospels. This is, of course, predicated on the trustworthiness of the Gospels themselves. How can we be confident they are reliable? How do we know if any given piece of literature or historical record can be trusted? There are a few simple tests we should apply. The first is the internal evidence test. We want to evaluate the internal consistency of the Gospels. How confident are we that the document we have resembles the document that was actually written in antiquity? A key metric to determine the consistency of any work is the number of surviving manuscripts in circulation and the degree of variance between them. The history of Thucydides which records the war between Athens and Sparta, has eight surviving manuscripts. Aristotle's work, Poetics, has 49 manuscripts. For the New Testament of the Bible, we have literally thousands of surviving original manuscripts. And there is very little variation between them aside from spelling differences and the usage of synonymous but different words in some places. So we can feel confident that the New Testament we have in hand is the New Testament from antiquity. The next factor is credibility. How confident are we that the events recorded actually happened? One of the distinguishing features of the Bible is that it was written within the lifetimes of many who were eyewitnesses to the events it describes, according to some historians. Had the Bible contained major inaccuracies, those who were alive at the time could have spoken up to dispute them. Furthermore, the disciples themselves clearly believed their claims that Christ was the Messiah, to the point they were willing to be crucified. It's one thing to die for an idea or a cause, but to claim you saw the resurrected Christ and to refuse to recant that claim, even when facing death, is remarkable. It is believed that most of the twelve disciples were martyred. Another piece of evidence that supports the claims written about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ is that his body was never produced. Christianity began to spread shortly after the death of Christ. If he was indeed still dead and buried, surely one of the enemies of Christianity would have produced his body. The fact no one ever did is in and of itself astounding. More than a carpenter. Brief 5. The Accuracy of Biblical Prophecy There are dozens of predictions about the life, death, and birthplace of the future Messiah that were written hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. These passages predicted that Christ would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5 and 2, they predicted he would be crucified and that his garments would be divided. Psalms 22 is predicted that Christ and his family would flee to Egypt. There are several others that were fulfilled by the life and ministry of Christ. Many of these prophecies were outside of Christ's control to fulfill. He could not determine when and where he was born, nor was he in control of the manner of his death. Furthermore, the odds these prophecies would be fulfilled by chance are astronomical. One scholar has calculated the odds of Christ fulfilling just eight prophecies about himself. So 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Christ changes lives. Evidence for the existence of Christ and that he was who he said he was is only the starting point. Christ didn't come to become an abstract idea. He came to change lives. 
After accepting Christ, the Arthur noticed major changes in his own temperament and behavior over time. He became less anxious, slower to erupt in anger when insulted. He was able to forgive his father for the pain he caused him during his childhood. He was able to forgive others who had abused him. His father, seeing this dramatic change in his son's life, accepted Christ as well. Although he had been an alcoholic his entire life, after accepting Christ, he was finally able to give up this vice. There are many such stories in the gospel and in the modern world about the changing power of Jesus Christ. Tax collectors who became honest men. Thieves who stopped stealing. Sinners who gave up drugs and prostitution. It isn't always easy and it doesn't happen overnight. But walking with Christ changes habits and behaviors. Christ changed the Arthur's life and he can change yours as well. He is more than just a carpenter, more than just an idea. He is a living and active savior. And even today in the modern world with all its busyness and bustle and wonder, there is a longing deep in the hearts of each of us that only Christ can fulfill. Hi, thank you for listening to this brief. We have plenty more at ChristianBrief.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-B-R-I-E-F.com. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And hope you check out some of the other briefs at ChristianBrief.com.